very excited, um, static, about um, the messages that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. We're going to dwell in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And I think we're going to take a good maybe five, six weeks just in these 10 verses, and we're going to try to break it down into pieces and I promise you that the Word of God will blow your mind away. Um, I go back, every time I go study at Starbucks, I go back to my wife and say, Man, this is so good, I can't wait to preach it. I have to tell you guys, um, probably people, people in the community think that you have a, a pastor who's clinically crazy. <laughs> because every time I prepare my message, I'm like, I pace, I walk back and forth, and I'm thinking, and I'm talking to myself, and I do that outside Starbucks. So um, if you are being seen with me in the neighborhood, it might not be a good idea for you. <laughs> for all clinical purposes, people think I'm nuts, okay? <laughs> but let's turn our hearts and open our Bibles to the Word of God and read these 10 verses in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Welcome, Brother Mark. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Um, I highly encourage you guys to download the notes. I, I'll try to make it available online the night before. Just because we're going to like, be breaking it down to nuts and bullets and go through a lot of scripture. So it might be good for you to have the notes so you can follow up with me, okay? So I'm going to read from the New King James Version, um, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Um, my translation starts with, And you he made alive. And then it says, and you who made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Most translations, most accurate translations, doesn't have that first phrase, and you who made alive. It's not really in the most accurate original Greek manuscripts. So it should be like this. Verse 1, you who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also you all once conducted, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, look at that. Just amazing. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you are saved and raised us up together together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show and this is where we're gonna be talking for the next few weeks the exceeding look at that phrase the exceeding riches of his grace the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works which God 
prepared before hands that we should walk in them. Amen? I was just praying. I was reading it a few years ago. I was reading in Ephesians, and um, I was praying that passage. I highly recommend that to you, by the way. Praying the scripture of the Bible is amazing. And then this phrase, the exceeding riches of his grace, kind of like really struck me. And here is why. How many of you guys know that God is infinitely great? Any disagreement here? That God is infinitely great. Okay, so he is infinitely great. So if Paul would have said his grace, his grace, the grace of an infinitely great God, wouldn't that be implying that this grace is so much infinitely great as well? Because it's the grace of an infinitely great God, right? So just by saying his grace and stop right there, Paul is already talking about something that is so infinitely great that we cannot even fathom or understand or comprehend, right? But Paul didn't say his grace. He lifted up a notch and he said it is the riches of his grace, right? I'm like, Paul, I mean, you're trying to make it even greater than it's already infinitely great. It's endlessly great. Now you're trying to make it a little bit greater. And not only that, but he lifted up another notch and he said it is the exceeding riches of his grace. Like the greatest of the greatest of the infinitely greatest thing of all. This is what Paul is trying to say. I feel that Paul couldn't just come up with words to describe how great this grace is. He just kept piling on words that says great, 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 great. So he just can convey the point that this grace is so great that we cannot even understand it. Okay? And if we look at this passage, verses 1 to 10, I think that Paul was just um, singing a song. And he has six verses in it. And the chorus of that song is this, the exceeding riches of his grace. Or Paul was trying to highlight this exceeding riches of the grace of God in that verse in six different points or in six different outlines. Okay, So that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks. Each week we're going to take one point or one of these outlines and we're going to talk about it. Um, I know we're reading through Matthews in our Bible study, but I encourage you to read through Ephesians in the next few weeks. Um, and if you can, here is a challenge. Let's try to memorize these 10 verses. We have six weeks to do that. It shouldn't be that bad. I'm going to repeat it every week here. So, you know, while you're at home, just keep trying to memorize it. I promise you it's one of the ama most amazing passages you, you will ever memorize in the scripture. Amen. So I just want to throw that challenge out to you guys. But let's try to see these six outlines that Paul was talking about here in that verse. Number one, he talked about the exceeding riches of his grace in its reach. Whom does this grace reach to? And that's why he talked about in verse 1 to 3. He said that this grace reaches to the dead, reaches to the slaves, reaches to the people who are rebellion, Riches to the people who are by nature children of wrath. So in verses 1 to 3, he's talking about who does this exceeding riches of his grace, grace reaches to, okay? And the second point that Paul talked about is the exceeding riches of his grace in its source. Where is this grace, exceeding riches of this grace coming from? And that's verse 4. God who is rich in 
mercy. Amen? And then verse number three, uh, the point number three, the exceeding riches of his grace in its work. What does this exceeding riches of his grace do? It does this. It made those who are dead alive together with Christ, raise them up and seat them up with Christ in the heavenly places. This is what this grace does. Number four, the exceeding riches of his grace in its middleman. That's verse seven. Look at verse seven. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Where? Where do you find this grace? In Christ Jesus. He's the one, he's the middleman, he's the mediator who brought that exceeding riches of the grace of God to the falling human race. Amen? You guys need to be a little bit more excited than this. Amen? Amen. Number five, the exceeding riches of his grace in its definition. What does it mean, the grace of God? What is the definition of that? That's verse 8 and 9. It says, By grace you are saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, so that's number five. The exceeding riches of his grace in its definition. What does it mean? And the last thing, the exceeding riches of his grace in its manifestation. This is, in this point, Paul is talking about how People who are touched by that grace, that exceeding riches of his grace, how does that manifest to the world? And that's why he said in verse 10 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. Okay, So everyone who is touched by that grace become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that should, we should walk in it. So every week we're just going to highlight one of these um, points. I highly encourage you, if you miss a week, um, try to listen to the message online. Because I want you to get the comprehensive picture of that grace of God. Okay, I don't want you to get one aspect and miss another one. So try, if you can, if you do miss a week or so, listen to it online or read the notes or something. All right, let's start with point number one. Can you guys help me? What is point number one? The exceeding riches of his grace in what? In its reach. And that's verses one, two, and three. In these verses, I mean, you can divide it any way you want. I chose to divide it to to four, four different descriptions of the people that the grace of God reaches to. So let's read it again together. And the four points or the four descriptions that I believe Paul was talking about here is, number one, he said that the grace of God reaches to those who are dead in trespasses and sin. That's why he said in verse one, you were dead in trespasses and sin. So that's the description of the people that the grace of God reaches to. But not only that we were dead, On addition to being dead, we also were slaves to the world and to Satan. That's why he said in verse 2, we were doing the sins in which we once walked. Look at this. Not according to what you want to do, but according to the course of this world, to the age of this world. It's like Paul is saying, whatever the world wants you to do, you just go out and do it because you were slaves to the world. And then after that, he says, according to the prince of the power of the air. 
the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. So Paul was saying, when also you sin, you're doing the will of the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, whatever he wants, you guys do, because you're slaves to him. But this is the people that the grace of God reaches to. Uh, dead people, number two, on, in addition to being dead, you're slave. And in addition to that, people who are willingly choose to disobey God. Bunch of rebellious, hard-headed, stiff-necked people. This is what he said in, um, let me see, verse 3, the rest of that verse. He said, um, let me see, uh, among, verse 3, among whom we also once walked, uh, once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. We're doing whatever our flesh wants us to do. Whatever we think, whatever we desire, this is what we do. The, the, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So that's the third description. Which bunch of rebellious people. And number four, he said that we are by nature. That's the last part of verse 3. We were by nature children of wrath, just like the other. Amen? So this is the description of the people that the exceeding riches of His grace reaches to. Let's uh, highlight the points again, make sure we're all on the same page. Number one, we are dead. On addition of being dead, we are slaves, okay, to the world and to Satan. In addition of being dead and slaves, we also rebellious. We choose in our minds and in our hearts to do wrong against God, and we just go out and do it. And number four, we come up from, from a messed up family. We are by nature, by birthrights, children of wrath, just like the others. Amen? I'm telling you, this is just good that the grace of God can reach to people who can be described this way. So let's highlight these uh, four points and talk about it a little bit and see what they mean. Number one, we are dead. Okay? So how does it work? God is a holy God. You guys agree with me? What does it mean that God is holy? He's pure. He cannot accommodate. He cannot tolerate. He cannot come close to sin by any way or shape or form. When, whenever there is sin, God is just as far away from sin as possibly can. Because it's against his nature. That's not who he is. All right? On the flip side of that, we are a bunch of sinners. We all sin. We, we lie, we cheat, we manipulate, we murder, we, 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 we do every abdominal action that God, who is holy and righteous, hates. And that's why Isaiah said that your sins have separated you from God. Because we are sinners, because we are sinners, because we sin against God, these sins have came in the way between us and God. And because God is holy, we have been separated from God because of our sins. All right? The problem with that is this. God is not just holy. He is also the source of life. Every single life ever is coming from God. He's the only source of life. So when you are separated from the source of life, what, what you're being called, you are dead, right? When you're separated from the source of life, you are pretty dead. And that's why the Paul said here that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Once again, God is holy. We are sinful. Therefore, our sins separated us from God. And because God is the source of life, now we are considered dead to God because we are a bunch of sinners. Okay? This is the logic behind it. 
and sin separates you from God and make you dead to God while you live here on earth and even for all eternity. Okay? You guys remember the story of a prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? What happened? A rich man has two kids. One of them, the younger one, said, Dad, I, you're as good as dead to me. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. He takes his money, gets out, wasted it for, from what we know from that story. I mean, a young kid with a lot of money, you can imagine the life he's been living, right? Everything he wants, he can get, no problem. You know, girls, whatever, luxury stuff, best iPhone at that time, whatever. You know, so he's, he lived a life. And then the Bible said that he lost all his, all his money and became so desperate, so he turned back to his dad. And look at what his dad said when he received back that son. He said, let's have a big feast, slaughter the fattest calf, and celebrate. Why? Because my son was what? Lost, and now he's found. Before that, he said something else. He said, because my son was dead, and now he is alive. Question, was, that, was the kid really dead? He was very well alive, right? He was breathing, he was walking. As far as you and I concerned, he was living the life, wasn't he? You look at people around us, and they're just filthy rich, having the latest car, they get anything they want, the nicest houses, everything they want they have, and we say, man, that's the life, isn't it? Right? But from God's perspective, they are dead. You know why? Because they are separated from the Father. And once you are separated from the Father, you are dead. It doesn't matter even if you're breathing. Amen? And that's why Paul was saying that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Because we are separated from God. And because we are separated from God, we're just dead to Him because He is the source of life. The problem with sin is not just it separates you from God while you're here on earth. It separates you from God for all eternity. Romans 6, 23. What did Paul say? Anybody can help me. Very famous scripture. For the wages of sin is what? Death. The penalty of sin. You know, you go to work and at the end of the week, you expect your paycheck. Right, Hannah? You're happy with the, with the paycheck now? Okay, good. <laughs> um, so you go to work at the end of the week, you expect a paycheck. It's the same thing when it comes to God. You live your life in sin, you die, guess what? There's a paycheck waiting for you because you lived in sin. And that paycheck called what? Death. Even though people will be actually alive for all eternity, they're still dead. You know why? Because they are separated from God in that horrible place called hell. A literal lake of fire where they're going to be tormented forever and forever. Okay? That separation is called death as far as God concerned. Let me support that with a scripture for you. In Matthew 25, Jesus said when he, when he stands in the day of judgment, he said to those who are accursed, who are sinners, he said what? Depart from me. Get away from me. You are going to be separated from me for all eternity. And that separation from Jesus, that separation from God, who is the source of life, is for all purposes as dead as people can ever get. Amen? And that's what sin does. 
It makes us separated from God who is holy. And therefore, it makes us dead to God. Whether you're here on earth or for all eternity, you are separated from the only source of life. And that is God. Amen? So we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But not only that. We're also slaves. We're slaves to the world. Literally, the, the Greek translation is the age of this world. And then Paul also said that we are slaves to the prince of the power of the earth. Let's, let's highlight a little bit these two. Number one, we are slaves to the age of this world. Paul make an allusion to that or make a reference to that in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. What did he say? He talked about Christ and he said that he gave himself, himself for our sin that he might deliver us out of the present evil age according to the will of God and our Father. All right? It's the same idea Paul talked about in Galatians right here. That we are living in an age, in a world system that enslaves us and makes us sin against God. Do you need examples for that? Do you want me to show you a couple of examples? Let's, let's do that. Fairfax County, not too long ago. The school system, they're getting together to try to see if we should teach our kids at 5 and 6 and 7 years old if they can choose an alternative lifestyle. That it's okay if you're a, a little kid growing up, if you're a, a guy, it's okay to love another woman or to love another guy. It's all the same. It doesn't matter who you love. Don't you hear that a lot? And our kids getting indoctrinated with our evil present time, our evil present world, that they grow up so confused and so messed up and they live in sin because the world has been indoctrinating and have been enslaving them to live that sinful lifestyle away from God. So they live in sin according to the age of this world, according to the wickedness of our world system. You guys agree with that, right? Not only that, look at TV. My wife and I watch the HGTV. It's our favorite channel. Just You see a bunch of people. You really can't find any much to watch on TV. So you watch that channel to see people buying homes and renovating them. Because we want to buy a house, hopefully, at some point. But <laughs> anyways, even watching that, even watching this, I mean, you're trying to find the cleanest thing you can possibly find. What do you see? A couple, a man and his wife, oh, not wife, a man and his girlfriend, and they're moving in together, and everybody's celebrating that a man and a woman are living together, out, and they're not married. And it's becoming so easy. The world is starting indoctrinating everyone, young or old. Hey, it's good to have sex outside of life, outside of marriage. As a matter of fact, if you're 14 or 13 or 12 or whatever, and you're still a virgin, oh my gosh, there has to be something wrong with you. How can you be a virgin at 12 years old? That's impossible. And kids growing up, and even adults growing up, indoctrinated with that wickedness. And they think that evil is normal and holiness is crazy and nuts and it shouldn't be, you know, existing. Because people are living according to the sinning and they're slaved according to the age of this world. Amen? And that's who we are, really. We're just living in sin because the world system is indoctrinating and enslaving us to live in sin against a holy and righteous God. But not only that, we're also slaves to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And that is Satan. 
Now, when Paul called him the prince of the power of the air, that's actually the only time, as far as I know, if I'm wrong, correct me, but I haven't seen that anywhere else in the whole Bible that Satan is called the prince of the powers of the air. Okay, that's the only unique time that Paul called him this way. Now, um, why did Paul call Satan the prince of the power of the air? It seems like from reading through the scripture that the Bible tried to tell us that we are here on earth and then God is in the heavens. That's like the highest heaven, the third heaven. Paul called it the third heaven. But then in between the air realm, that's when evil spirit works. That's, that's what the Bible tried to tell us a couple of times. For example, um, in, in Daniel chapter 10, um, Daniel was praying and um, he needed to know what's going to happen to his people. So three weeks later, nothing is happening. And then Gabriel, one of the angels, came to him and he said, okay, I'm here now to tell you what's going to happen to your people. But here is, here is why I'm late, okay? Here is Gabriel's story. He's like, from the moment you start praying, I left. Because I wanted you prayed, God heard your prayer, and I left to come and explain to you what's going to happen. But I have been withheld three weeks by the prince of Persia, that's uh, one of the names of the demonic powers or rulers. So where did this prince of Persia held Gabriel? Think about it. So God is in heaven, the heaven of heavens, or the third heaven, and Daniel is on earth. And Gabriel is coming down from the ultimate third heaven to meet Daniel on the earth. And in the middle, what's in the middle? The air, right? The, the air atmosphere. In that air, the, the demonic power, the prince of Persia, held Gabriel, for three weeks, fighting against him so he doesn't come to go, um, you know, tell Daniel the explanation of the story or the explanation of what's going to happen to his people. So that's why from that verse we can see that the power of darkness work in the air, okay, or in the air atmosphere. We'll see another reference to that in Ephesians 1, 19 to 20. This is right before Ephesians 2. Where here is what Paul said that um, verse 20, the very end of that verse that Christ he was raised from the dead and seated in, at the right hand in the heavenly places Jesus was seated way um, in with God in the heavenly places verse 21 far above far higher than all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name to be named not only in this age but in the one to come so what Paul was saying here is that when Jesus sat in the very heavenly places on the highest heaven Next to God, at the right hand of God, he was physically higher, far above than all the demonic powers because they function in the realm of air. You guys follow me? This is just what I'm uh, coming up with. Um, so yes, so demons work in that atmosphere of air, you know, like above us. And that's why Satan is called the prince, the ruler of all the evil powers that work in that air, Okay. And Paul was saying here that we were slaves to Satan, the prince of the power of the heirs. He is the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. We were slaves to Satan. Jesus said in, in the book of John, you are of your father that is the devil. And he's, then he said, and your desires you want to do? Can anybody help me with that scripture? No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, you are of your father that is the devil and the desires of who? Of your 
father, the devil. That's what you do. So he's saying, you're pretty much his slaves. Whatever he wants, you do. You have no saying in it because he's the master. He's your master. And whatever he wants, he get away with, with you. He just forced you to do it. The desire of your father, you do. So we were slaves to Satan. It doesn't look pretty so far, right? So we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were slaves to the course of this world. And then we are also slaves to Satan. But number four, number three, we are also sinful and rebellious by nature. Like we, it's not just we are slaves to sin against God. We're forced to sin against God. We choose to sin against God. That's verse three, the first part. It says, that we once lived, this is a more literal translation, we once lived in the desires of our flesh, doing the wills of the flesh and the mind. So these two phrases are pretty identical. Um, the first one and the second one, they kind of parallel to each other. And Paul was just trying to emphasize the point. So I will not take these two as two different points. It's more, again, explanation. The second phrase is more of an explanation to the first phrase. You once lived in the desires of your flesh, doing the wills of the flesh and the mind. And notice this. This is good. In Greek, the word desires, the word wills, the word minds, they're all plural. So literally, the literal translation is, we once lived in the desires, not the desire, the desires of our flesh, Doing not the will, but the wills of our flesh and not our mind, but our minds. So it's all plural. Why? Why did Paul choose the plural? Because Paul was trying to present us, create a feeling of comprehensiveness that every single intention, all our intentions are wicked before God. Everything we do, every thought we have, every word we say, everything we do, it's wickedness before God. And it is not just we're forced to do it. It's our minds. This is what we think about. This is what we want, and this is what we choose to do. All right? We're just going on about the description of the people that the grace of God reaches to. So we are, let's recap, make sure I haven't lost you guys. We are what? We are dead to God because of our sins. Number two, we are slaves to the world. And then we are slaves to Satan. That's one point. And then point number three, we are... Rebellion people, we choose to rebel against God and sin against Him. And number four, we are by nature children of wrath. Now, look at this. This is good. When Paul said, earlier Paul talked about the devil, and he said that he is the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, right? Now he's saying that we are children of wrath. The Greek word for sons and children is not here the same, okay? When he said sons, it doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean biological sons. When he says that we are the sons of disobedience, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are biological sons. You can be a son by adoption, right? And this is what Paul was saying. We are sons of disobedience. We willingly choose to associate ourselves with disobedience. But when he talks about being by nature children of wrath, he's literally talking about being biological son of the children of wrath. He's talking about generational, like we inherited the wrath from our forefathers. What Paul is saying here that just by the mere fact of our birthrights, the family that we are born in, just by that mere fact, we are children of wrath. By nature. 
children of wrath. Between that scripture and Romans chapter 5, these are two of the most um, clear scriptures that teach the uh, full nature of sin that we have. But we are by nature children of wrath. This is what Paul was trying to say about who we are. Dead, slaves, uh, rebellion, and by nature, children of wrath. I want you to notice these a couple of things here, okay? And we're going to be closing in a few minutes. Number one, notice our helplessness. Notice our helplessness. Number two, notice our despitefulness. Try to make them rhyme and it worked. Helplessness, despitefulness, and rebelliousness. I want you to notice these three things, how Paul describes us. Notice our helplessness, our despitefulness, and our rebelliousness. Number one, notice our helplessness. Here is how Paul describes the sinner. He's saying that he is dead, right? Now, let me ask you a question. How good a dead person can do to try to improve their situation? Very difficult, huh? Let me ask you that question again. How much work, how much effort a dead person can do to try to improve themselves? Nothing, right? Nothing. A dead person cannot do anything. Not only dead, we're also slaves. Now, another, the same question. If you're a slave, you don't have the freedom to change any of your situation because your will is not your own. Your will is your master, right? So he's saying that we are dead. We can't change anything. We're pretty dead to God. We are pretty slaves. We cannot do what we want. Even if we want to improve ourselves, we can't. And number three, notice he said that we are by nature children of wrath. You don't even have to um, do sin to provoke the wrath of God. The very fact that you are born in the falling human race, in the race of Adam, you are already by nature a children of wrath. Right? That right there, take away the argument that we can approach God by trying to do good works, right? Because really, we are helplessness. We, we are helpless. We cannot do anything to try to improve our situation before God. Number two, notice our despitefulness. I just want you to realize how disgusting we are to God. All right? Look at this. We are dead. Now, dead ain't pretty. You guys agree with me? Dead ain't pretty. We have a story in, in John chapter 11 when Lazarus was dead and Jesus went to raise him up. And he, Jesus said, oh, move the stone. Four days after he died, Jesus said, move the stone. What did Martha say? Oh, Lord, don't do that. Are you going to kill us? The guy is stinged. He has a very bad odor. We can't even try to come close to him. Are you sure you really want to move the, the, the stone? Look at this. I just looked up online how a dead body smell or look like. This is just a couple of random people. Look at, look at this. My brother-in-law died in his apartment. This is one guy. Um, and was there five days before being found. When my wife and I went to the funeral... Uh, we want to help clean the place afterward. I can't describe the smell, nor I will ever forget it. This is what the guy say. It permeated all soft things so badly, they had to be thrown out. We managed to keep a couple of tables only. Even the TV stunk after airing out for a week. This is disgusting, right? But this is who we are to God. We're pretty disgusting to him. Number, this is this, this guy. One, the question is like, how bad does this person smell? And here's the answer. Pretty bad, dude. Uh, you can throw up or pass out from the smell. 
Usually, when dealing with such situation, we use masks or gel that smells better than a corpse. <laughs> I was an EMT for five years, and we ran into this a couple of times. Praying dead is pretty disgusting. It ain't pretty, right? And yet, this is who we are to God. God looks at us, and he's holy, and he is as disgust as could ever be disgusted by us as he could possibly can be, because we are dead to him. So we are disgusting to God. And not only that, we're also slaves to cruel masters. The world and Satan, they ain't good masters that will take care of you and I, right? Can you imagine like a homeless guy who hasn't bathed or showered or anything like that because he cannot afford the thing? Now, if you have a cruel master over you who doesn't ever give uh, any care about your well-being, all what he cares about is what he can get out of you. It's not going to pay for you to shower or be in good condition. All what he wants is just abuse you as much as possibly can. And when you have seen that an abused slave, it ain't pretty to see an abused slave. You would want to be as far away from that slave as possibly can, right? So notice our helplessness. Notice our despitefulness. Yet notice our rebelliousness. We choose in our mind to rebel against God. We think about God and we choose to rebel against him. And if he's tried to correct us or bring us back to him, we intentionally choose to try to say no to him and ignore him. Amen? Here's the analogy that I'm going to close with. This sermon is going to be a little bit longer. Hopefully, the rest is not going to be as long. Here is the analogy that I'm going to close up with, okay? Listen to this. Let's say you're single, okay? And a friend comes to you and is like, man, I found the perfect person for you. Okay, great. How does this perfect person look? And here's the description of that perfect person. Um, well, he kind of like disgusting looking, really. You know, I mean, he smells so bad that if you're like a block away from him, you will throw up because he's just so disgusting. His smell is just so nasty. He hasn't showered in God knows how long. He is as nasty as they get from the looks perspective, okay? And not only that, um, he's also... Like, not a nice person. Like, he's pretty rebellious. So, oh, well, no. He's also helpless. He can't help himself. Like, there is nothing that he's going to do to try to ever improve his situation. Just to let you know of the path, you know, how this, this person looks like. He's disgusting as he can be. You're going to throw up just by being in, in a block radius from him. And he cannot help himself. There's nothing that he can do to... He can bathe by himself. He can do anything to help himself. And not only that... But he's actually a pretty stubborn person too. So if you try to help him, he's probably going to try to resist you every step in the way. And he's going to try to manipulate you and try to take advantage of you and deceive you. And not only that, remember Paul said, we're by nature children of wrath, like our Adam, father, fall, and we're in that fallen family. So the other description of that person is his family is pretty screwed up. There is nothing good about his family. And all the problems that... His great-grandfather and his grandfather and his father has done. Now all these issues are in him. And he's just as messed up as can be just by birthright. Would you date that person? Would you go out with them? Okay, one date. Just one date. You're probably going to throw up a lot <laughs> if you're going to go take a brown bag with you. You won't go out with that person one date. How much more you be in a relationship with that person? Would you ever do it? I don't care how single you are. Don't do it, right? Do you guys see how we looked to God when we were in sin away from him? This description I'm telling you is exactly what we are to God. 
because of our sin. We're filthy, we're disgusted, we're helpless, and we're rebellious, and our family is so messed up. Do you guys now see truly the exceeding riches of His grace? That the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the one in whose presence every angel covered their eyes because He's so glorious, this God will accept not to go out on a date with us, to be in a relationship with us. And not only temporary relationship, but for all eternity. Do you guys see the exceeding riches of His grace in its reach? Amen? I am static, happy, very excited that the grace of God will reach to somebody like me. As disgusting, as filthy, as helpless, as rebellious, as messed up from a, from a messed up family as could ever be. Yet God in his grace will reach out to me and say, I don't care. I'll take you just as you are. All right? Let's all close our eyes and pray. Yes, Lord.